knew he was going to do something fancy there at the end. So what's fun, that's what's fun when you're used to being in church and you're looking around, you're like, some people know he's going to do this. And some people aren't sure and they're going to have to figure it out. All right. Amen. That was a blessing. If you would, grab your Bibles. Luke chapter 17 and Romans chapter 14. Luke 17 and Romans 14. Yes, I know we read these this morning. Hopefully you remember that we read these this morning. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, I did not get a chance to talk to really anybody after the service except for one individual. Uh, well, I guess Mrs. Bacon was with us. Uh, and so Lisa Carr this morning trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior Amen. after the service. That would be uh, Brother Todd's mom. And so, uh, praise the Lord, she, she accepted Christ. And uh, it's amazing to watch somebody uh, not understand everything. And then the light bulbs just start. <laughs> and the pieces start coming together. And it's, it's quite wonderful. If you've never gotten to lead somebody to the Lord, uh, that's, that's, that's the second best experience you'll ever have in your life right there. Say, what's the best? When you got yours. All right, that's the only thing that tops it. Uh, and so I, I've had an exciting day today, and I hope that uh, I hope my brain holds together to say what needs to be said tonight coherently. Uh, I got done uh, with Lisa, and I uh, got done here, and I went I went home. I grabbed a snack because I am back on carnivore, so I wasn't going to eat anything too crazy. And I grabbed a snack, and I went to the hospital, made phone calls while I went, got to see Brother Mike, made phone calls all the way back here. And I was still making phone calls until 5 o'clock. I was still on the phone at 5. And so I was trying to switch everything back over to this. So uh, pray for me. I'd appreciate it. Uh, Luke 17 and verse number 20. We read this this morning. Luke 17, verse number 20. And when he was demanded, of course, Jesus, of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Uh, we talked uh, much about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God this morning, and we focused pretty hard at the end there on the kingdom of God and how it is uh, the spiritual kingdom. Uh, that you and I gained at salvation. When we trusted Jesus Christ uh, as our Savior, we got put into the kingdom of God by a spiritual birth. And He brought us in and He made us part of that kingdom. And in doing so, we now have something that nobody else has in regard to that. Look over at Romans chapter 14. Uh, that kingdom of God is within us. And the way that we show that that kingdom is there... He tells us in Romans chapter 14, and we'll start in verse number 16, Romans 14, 16, let not, your, let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Uh, ultimately, what you get here is you get the manifestation that you're part of that kingdom. 
The manifestation of that kingdom is not meat and drink. It's not in the riches or the wealth or the abundance that we have. Although, as I mentioned this morning, when you get the kingdom of God and you follow it, you gain all the things that are part of the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. You get the physical blessings because you're following the one who is going to take care of all of your need. And so you stop worrying about what you need and you just worry about what he needs. And then God goes ahead and supplies all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so here they are. And the, and the statement he makes is it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, without the Holy Ghost, I already said it this morning, without the Holy Ghost, you don't have those things. Without the Holy Ghost, there's no righteousness. Without the Holy Ghost, there is no peace. Without the Holy Ghost, there is no joy. You don't have any of those things without, without God doing something in your life. Without the change of your life going from uh, an eternity in a lake of fire to changing that destination to being saved and going to have a home in heaven for all of eternity because Jesus Christ has washed away all of your sins and taken care of everything. Uh, once he has done that, now you are put on a course and much like the idea of the fruit of the Spirit that is manifest in the life of a Christian, supposed to be in the life of a Christian, these three things are supposed to be manifest in the life of a Christian because they're part of the kingdom of God. And so he looks at it and he says this in verse number uh, 17 though, he said right, the, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Verse 18 for he that is that in these things serveth Christ. In these things. Well, what things? What, what's he talking about? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you're in these things and you are serving Christ, notice what he says about it. Is acceptable to God and approved of men. You know, we, he says that we labor. Why? That we may be accepted of him. Now, don't, don't get all uptight. I feel like we're a little tight, all right? Don't get up, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is secured. When you got saved, you got saved. All right. I got done talking to Lisa this morning and I said, you know, there is one thing. Everybody goes, right? The, how can you know you're going to heaven? Because God told me I'm going to heaven. Right. It, it's not because it's not of any greatness of me. I don't know I'm going to heaven because I'm wonderful. I know I'm going to heaven because I said that I am a sinner and Jesus, would you save me? And he saved me for all of eternity and his promises are true. But we're not, I don't mean that. I mean the acceptable life, right? You get to Romans chapter 12 and you're supposed to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to be acceptable in the sight of God in how you live your day-to-day -day life. In order to do that, in order to serve Him acceptably, you know what we need? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Oftentimes people wonder, well, how can I serve God effectively? Well, is it the greatness of the wealth that you gain? Well, no, that can't be an earmark. I mean, if, if wealth was the seal of approval of God, Jesus was unapproved. Jesus, Jesus borrowed everything. He borrowed the boats. He borrowed the nets. He borrowed his tax money. He borrowed everything. He even borrowed a tomb when he died. 
He told, right? He told them, hey, the son of man hath not where to lay his head. He didn't, even have a play, he didn't have a pillow to sleep on. That's how much Jesus did. If money is the, is the seal of approval, then Jesus wasn't acceptable. Well, it, it's got to be how many converts you get. If you get a great following, Jesus started with a great following and he ended with almost nothing. Where's Jeremiah's great following? Well, then it's not in numbers. That doesn't work either. You say, well, then what's acceptable? What God deems acceptable. You know, you could have nothing and still be acceptable. By the world's standards, you could have nothing at all and God be like, I like that fella. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> say, but wait a minute, you, you, you said that we get all these things. Yeah, but sometimes you don't have to worry about those things. That's all it is. The supply doesn't mean that you're going to have great abundance of it. You realize that Elijah, you guys are learning about Elijah in Sunday school. When Elijah's there by the brook, he doesn't get, he doesn't get a pile of food every day. He gets enough for the morning. Then he gets enough for the evening. And then the next day he gets enough for the morning and enough for the evening and enough for the morning and enough for the evening. The children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness and the manna shows up and it's good for the day. Until the sixth day. And then it's good for two days. But that's it. No more. Are they not the blessed of God at that particular moment? Isn't he meeting the need? Well, then you don't need a huge storehouse. What you need is enough for today. Sufficient unto the day is the evil. There's enough today. That's all you got to worry about. You say, so what's acceptable? Well, these three things make you acceptable with God when you're serving Him. And the sad reality is, most people don't pay any attention to these three things. And so, we'll have a word of prayer. We're going to look at those three and see if maybe the kingdom of God inside of you could make it so you're acceptable in your service toward God. Father, I do pray you would bless the night tonight. Give me wisdom as I speak. And Lord, I know my... My thoughts have been a little everywhere today and, and just cares and concerns for others that, that are going through some things, Lord, with Brother Mike and, and, and Patty and, and Lord, just different things happening throughout the church. We pray your hand would be upon our people. But Lord, we pray especially for the service now and the message that's preached. We pray you just speak to our hearts and help me, Lord, to, to frame the words in the right order and the right, and the right setup, Lord, that everything would be done just the way that you want it so you can be praised. And Lord, we do pray you would help us to be great servants of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, we can go, I'm glad that I know that I'm accepted. Not just accepting the beloved when I got saved, but my work is acceptable in the eyes of a wonderful God who saved me. And I just love to please him. And Lord, once again, we pray you'd bless our night in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first thing you get is righteousness. Now, all three of these things, let me say this first, all three of these things are present at salvation. You got these at salvation. All right. Uh, for instance, uh, all of us got the, when you trusted Jesus Christ, right? Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You cannot get more righteous than the righteousness of God. All right, right? But that's not what he's talking about. 
When you got saved, you got all of your sins forgiven and they were washed and they were sanctified and they were cleansed forever and you've been justified by Jesus Christ. But that's not what he's talking about. Right here, he's talking about your own personal righteousness. Right here, he's talking about day to day. Eternal line versus temporal line. There's two lines in everybody's life. The eternal line is the one where you can never lose your salvation, you never fail, you never have any issues because you're in Christ. That's the eternal side. That is entirely different than the temporal side. Right? We have, have our sins have been forgiven past, present, future. That's how we get salvation. They're forgiven that way. They're covered and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But then you get 1 John chapter 1, right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. <laughs> well, wait a minute, I thought I was washed of all those sins. You were washed of all those sins, except that in this life, you better make sure your fellowship with God is right. And so when we sin and we fail, we confess our sins because He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we can stay in fellowship with God. The question is not my eternal security in this passage. The question is, how does a lost world get to see that the kingdom of God is within you as you serve Him? And the answer is, number one, is the righteousness of your life. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It took me a bit to cut down all the verses that I could use for all of this. Uh, just... So if more than likely as I preach, you're going to have about 20 or 30 or 100 more verses. I cut a lot of verses. I just kept scratching them off. I can't go there. I can't go. If I go there, it's going to take me forever. All right. Uh, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice what he says in verse number 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Uh, here's the warning. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That's, that's a great memory verse. Verse 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. <laughs> For some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. His statement to the, to the church at Corinth is, hey, uh, don't be deceived into thinking that you can get away with having evil communications evil dealings with other people, have deal evil things in your life and have evil situations coming up and then turn around and have good manners still with everything. And then he says, hey, by the way, do righteous. Do righteous. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Meaning you better wake up and pay attention because you've been deceived into thinking you can get around all this other stuff and still stay righteous and clean. You know, here's the difficulty. You know what people do? They go, well, I can dabble a little bit because I'm strong. Well, you better take heed because he that thinketh he standeth is about to fall. We do that all the time. You, you, we just, just a little bit. It's okay. You know, just don't, just, just don't what? Don't, well, don't cross a line. Okay, well, didn't you already cross it? Didn't a little leaven leaven the whole lump? Isn't it all unrighteousness is sin? Isn't it? Well, you know, you got to get extreme. Like, well, God's pretty extreme. Dealing with Lisa this morning after the service, you, you know what I got to I got to show her that it's not just 
the people we think are wicked and awful and terrible that spend eternity in a lake of fire. It's one lie. Put somebody in a lake of fire. That seems extreme. (laughs) Well, you mean I can't get into heaven if I've told one lie? Nope. Can't get into heaven with one lie. You need the righteousness of God and he never told one. And we got saved, so He gave us His righteousness, and He took away our unrighteousness, and He washed us. But today, you know what He says about us? He says, hey, awake to righteousness and sin not. His statement about us is, be ye holy, for I am holy. (laughs) You say, that's impossible. Evidently, it must not be. When has God given a command you couldn't follow? That's the trouble. We make the excuse so we don't, don't have to be that good. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Well, I just can't stop sinning. I can't help myself. It's not supposed to be you that does it. You're still working with your own righteousness and your own way of thinking and your own process and your own ideas and your own mentalities. Instead of having the kingdom of God that is in you show forth its righteousness. We say, but I don't know how to do that. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't know how true this is. I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, you don't hear a lot of preaching against sin. Man, you're in the wrong churches. I don't know what's wrong with you. That's the way the world wants to go, though. That's the way Christianity wants to go as a whole. The the idea of, well, I don't want to make people accountable and feel uncomfortable. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I hope you're uncomfortable. Boy, that doesn't seem loving. Verse 16 here of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what we believe, for reproof to tell us where we're wrong, for correction, how to do what we've done wrong and make it right, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. He says, hey, you know what you can learn? You can learn how to do it right. The Bible gives you the layout for doing things right. It not only tells you where you've done it wrong, it not only tells you how to fix the things you've done wrong so that you can be right with God, it then tells you how you can live right. Amazingly enough, salvation entails all of those pieces. When we got saved, we got doctrine. You say, what was that? We learned that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And we realized that if we trust Jesus Christ, that's doctrine. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ, that's doctrine. That's what we were taught. And when we were taught that, we recognized that we had to be reproved. (laughs) For what? I'm a sinner. (laughs) And so we got reproof and then we got correction. Well, how do I fix that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. (laughs) What's the fix for the fact that I messed up? Trust Jesus, he'll fix it. (laughs) For instruction in righteousness. Well, don't continue down the way you were going before. Let's go ahead and go down a new path. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God. Now go His way. Thy word is a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my back. What's He trying to do? He's trying to give you instruction on how to live it right. 
we're really good at living it wrong. And he wants us to do it right. So he says, hey, awake to righteousness. I gave you a book. Read it. (laughs) And not just read it. Put it into practice. Figure out. We have a lot of Christians that are really high up on knowledge. And they don't have a whole lot of wisdom. They can go, yeah, I know Jesus died. And I know. And I know. And they could look at everybody else in the room and tell you all the things that they're doing wrong. But they look at their own life and they're like, I'm pretty good. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Did you, what? Huh? (laughs) And they can't even see. And they're so busy worrying about everybody else's beam (laughs) or everybody else's little moat, they can't get the beam out of their own eye. They're so worried about everything. Well, you know, and they'll nitpick everybody else and they can't figure out that they're just not paying any attention to me. You realize God's not asking you to worry about my righteousness or anybody else's except for yours? It's your righteousness He's worried about. Now, I know individually it's my righteousness for me, but it's your righteousness for you. Notice what He says here in chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know what he tells you there in in verse uh, uh, 19? He says, hey, you know what? If you're saved, if you name the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Get away from sin. Get away from iniquity. Get get away from those transgressions. Get away from that stuff. And then he says, you know, there's these vessels. And you know what you need to do? You need to purge yourself of these things. Notice that statement, purge yourself. When you got saved, you didn't purge yourself. Salvation's not you purging yourself, right? Hebrews lets us know that you and I were purged by Jesus Christ. He washed us. He's the one who purged our sins. Say, so, well, then what's this talking about? It's not talking about you and I at salvation. It's talking about you and I now. After we've been saved, you know what we have? We have what we call progressive sanctification. It's the personal walk now. Yes, you got sanctified forever. You were, you were made holy, clean, pure, set apart, and ready to go for all time, for eternity. <laughs> so what's the problem? We don't live righteously. And if we don't live righteously, we are not sanctified today. That's why we have to go ahead and confess our sins so that He can wash us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those are two separate things. We're sanctified for all of eternity, yes, but right now you and I have to deal with the fact that we are still living on this earth and we fail. And his answer is, you know what you need? You need to flee youthful lusts and follow righteousness. That's the first thing on his list. Flee those things and then follow righteousness. Start running after the things that do right. Boy, it'd be a different life if Christians would run after the things that are good as opposed to the things that they just want. 
their lusts. There they are. Look back at Romans chapter 6. Say, is this all righteousness? All righteousness. I'm not going to read the whole passage. You can read basically the entirety of the chapter. But verse number 11, he tells us, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it and the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which we delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Notice he says at the end of verse 19, now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. The idea is, you know what, before you were a servant to sin and now you ought to be serving righteousness. But the choice is always yours. Whom you yield yourselves servants to, that's what you'll obey. If you want to be brought under the power of sin, go ahead. If you want to be brought under the power of God and go ahead and serve Him, you can do that too. That's the liberty that's in Christ. But His answer is, show, you know, are we supposed to keep sinning? Are we supposed to do that? Well, God forbid. Shall we sin? Well, God forbid. We're supposed to be righteous. And if you're part of that kingdom of God, you know what you ought to be? Righteous. You ought to be trying to do everything right that you possibly can. You say, oh, I know I'm going to fail. I know. Quit using the excuse. I think we try to excuse ourselves far too easily. We're real easy on ourselves. Well, you know, that's just my weakness. Okay, well, when you're weak, you're supposed to be strong. The Lord's supposed to come through and be strong for you, isn't He? But the problem is you lean into your weakness so much. You and I, we, boy, if I could just get away, I'll just, you know, lean into that weakness when nobody else can pay any attention. I'm going to move on. <laughs> you say, why? Because I'm getting depressed too. First Corinthians 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. You know... God called us to righteousness. You have been called on to holiness and liberty. And do, God made it so you, you and I could live a righteous life when before we got saved, we never knew how. And we waste it. We waste that life by going ahead and doing whatever else we want to do. And here he is, and you know what he says? He says... Uh, here in verse number 33, 1 Corinthians 14, I'm not going to get into all the weirdness of speaking in tongues and prophecies and interpretings and all those things. Notice what God says about it, though, because the statement is true. This, this is one of those statements where 
uh, although it's talking about these things, you know that it's true about every situation. In verse number 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Uh, God called us right. He says, you know what, the manifestation of that kingdom of God, you know what that's going to be in your life when you're going to serve me, when you serve me in those things? Uh, it's going to be righteousness and peace. Peace. I think it's interesting, Brother Andrew was talking a whole lot about peace tonight. And peace. And you know who's the author of peace? Well, God is. God's the one who writes peace out and shows you how you get it. We understand, and we won't go to all the passages, but uh, you get to John chapter 14, right? Verse number 27, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you, let not your heart be, and so on. He says in uh, chapter 16, I think it is, uh, let me look, just make sure I get it right for you. Yeah, chapter 16 and verse 33, he says, uh, in the world you'll have tribulation. But I have overcome the world. He, he wants you to have peace, but he knows in the world you're going to have tribulations. But he's overcome the world. You know, what's amazing is that he's, he's trying to get you to understand I'll look back at Romans chapter 14 where we were. Romans chapter 14, back at our text. This peace that He wants us to have. Starts with our unity. Look at verse number 19. Let us follow their uh, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Well, what is that? Look at verse 20. He gives the example that he's talking about in this passage. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. The comparative that he's giving is, uh, you can see it back up higher in the passage if you want to read the chapter, right? It is that uh, if, if meat's going to make my brother to offend, I will eat no meat. <laughs> it's the comparative of, hey, if, if this is going to be a problem for somebody, I'm not going to do it in front of them. I'm not, I'm not going to go ahead and give them a reason to stumble and fall and go against what they believe God is asking them to do. It's, it's the concept that, you know, if you... If you if you know somebody struggles with certain things that may be okay for you and they're not okay for them, you eliminate that, especially when you're there with them. It doesn't mean you have to eliminate them from your life. God didn't tell you to get rid of it. Don't get rid of it. But if you know that they struggle with certain things with, uh, I'm, I'm going to go, uh, I don't know. If they, don't, if, if they struggle with the idea of, uh, of music... And they're real strict on their music. They, they, I mean, they're tight. They're like, well, man, I only listen to hymns that were played, you know, with a, with a pitch pipe. And it's, it's completely, like, they're real tight. Well, then you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to, don't throw a CD in there or, or turn on something that's going to go ahead and be more than that. You go ahead and relax, all right? It'll be fine. And when they're gone, you change it and, and put on whatever godly good music you want. But if that's what their standard is, and they don't like anything outside of that. And it's not just preference. They're like, Lord doesn't want me to listen to that stuff because I was in the world too long. And some of that stuff reminds me of that. And you want to be careful? Be careful and help them out. 
You say, what does peace do? It brings unity. It doesn't, it doesn't divide. It's not contentious and it's not divisive. It's supposed to be, hey, you know what? Uh, I want to live peaceably, so you know what I'll do? I won't do certain things when I'm around certain people. You say that seems hypocritical. No, that's protecting somebody else. It's kind of like this. Uh, you may watch, you may, like, you may like a war movie. All right, you may like that, and you, you put on your vid angels so you don't have to hear all the language and all that stuff, right? And you're, you're, you're whatever you use, I don't know. All right, but you're watching, are you going to watch that with your, with your seven, eight, and nine-year-olds with the blood and all the bullets flying and all that stuff? Well, no. Why would you do that? You wouldn't do that with a small child. Like, there's certain things that you, you go, you know, that's not, not a big deal to me, and I, I've seen all that, and we're, it's just a difference. Say, well, that's hypocritical. That's not hypocritical. You're just protecting your kids. They don't need to see that. And maybe you don't either. But anyways, um, whatever. Um, you do what the Lord told you to do. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Um, not going there. And, but you do certain things that an adult is acceptable for. And a very small child, you'd go, why would you do that? Sports different things that you watch and different things that you do and different places that you even go. Just not suitable to bring your kid to. You know, sometimes even good things. We, we, go, down, we go down and street preach in different areas. You know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't bring my kids to certain places. We go street preaching. Say, why? Because I don't want them to see the filth of the world on that day. You go down to the St. Paddy's Day Parade down there in Syracuse and you go out tracking, you do all that stuff. What is that? It's just not going to be safe for my kid. I don't, want, I don't want my kids there. I don't know what anybody's going to do. There's too many people and too many things, and you can't protect them, right? So what, what's, that's hypocritical. They ought to be able to do, well, then you're, then you're foolish. And a baby Christian may not have the same liberties that you have, and they don't understand why you have a liberty that you have. And maybe you ought to be able to take care of them. You know what peace does? It brings, it brings unity instead of divisiveness. Because notice what else it does. Look over at Colossians chapter 3 i got to move along. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse number 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. You know, it's strange, he's got peace right there in the midst of forgiveness and charity. Goes right along with peace. So what's that about? That's about unity. You know, peace means that you're going to have to learn how to forgive others no matter what they've done. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I mean, that's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. If you've been saved for any length of time, you realize He forgave you much. And I don't care if you're like me and you were saved at seven or even younger, some of you. You've been forgiven much because you have untold things that you have yet to do that you probably will do. 
And some of us who grew up did all those untold things that we didn't want to really want to come back around and we're like, why did I do that? It would have been better if I stayed and I didn't do all the stupid that I did. And you look around, you know what you recognize? God forgave me. Maybe I ought to forgive them. So what does that do? That brings peace. And it's the peace of God. So I could never forgive them. That's because the peace of God isn't ruling in your heart. Well, how can you forgive them? For, you don't know what they've done. The Lord knows what they've done. And He's got plenty of forgiveness for them too. We'll go over to Philippians chapter 4. Verse number 6, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, you know the spot. Uh, ultimately, peace is based upon your prayer life and your faith in God. Can God actually do what I ask? Can God actually meet my need? Can God actually take care of, and when I cast my care upon Him, is He actually going to take it? Well, if He is, then you've got the peace of God. And if you don't have that, you know what you end up with? No peace. But we know that He cares for us. Over and over, we see His care and His concern and His compassions for us. And when we, you and I are going ahead and manifesting these attributes that he wants us to have. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, you can have peace. Well, then why do I feel so much turmoil? Because you don't have peace. <laughs> because you're not trusting him. Well, I can't forgive them. That's because you don't trust him. Because he told you you should. Well, you know, I just need to handle this myself instead of casting your cares upon him. Well, you know, if, if I could just... <laughs> It's not about him. It's about you then. And now you don't have the peace because it's all about what you can get done. We struggle. I struggle. Maybe you don't. I'd hate, I'd hate to lump you in with poor me. But the truth, I struggle sometimes at what? At going, okay, I, gotta, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I have to wait and let the Lord tell me what I should do. You ever see things and you go, I know the right answer. <laughs> and so we grab it really quick. <laughs> and Lord's like, oh, you made a mess. Like, because you grabbed it and you squeezed the life out of it. <laughs> and you went, yeah, I got it. And he's like, and now it's done. And then we're like, wait, you have to fix it. And he goes, you didn't wait for me before. If you'd have waited for my peace on what you should do, you'd have done it right. And then we wouldn't have this problem. But in order to have that, you'd need Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 to be spiritually minded as life and peace. Well, that means you have to be in the mindset of the spiritually minded and be thinking on the fact that it's the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of heaven. And in the spiritual instead of the flesh. I hope all that made sense.
Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. He says, uh, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, I could take you to a lot of places. Instead, I'm going to list a lot of places just for the sake of time. If you want to write them down, you can look them back up. But I find it very interesting how God uses joy in relation to other things in the Bible. So what I mean by that is, in James chapter 1 and verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That's a weird pairing. That's just me. Isn't it weird that you should count it joy when you have diverse temptations? That doesn't seem to go together. You know, uh, he says that uh, Hebrews chapter 12, that the chastening is not joyous, but grievous. (laughs) It's, it's not joyful, but we understand that we're supposed to have joy even in chastening. Those two don't seem to go together. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, uh, they had joy in much affliction and deep... Uh, nope, not yet. Uh, much affliction is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11, they have patience and long-suffering with joy. You know what's strange to me? We go, don't pray for patience, right? We don't want patience. Why? Because tribulation worketh patience, right? We don't, want, we don't want tribulation, so we don't want patience. But you realize that patience and long-suffering bring joy. Second Corinthians, or, uh, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2, he tells that the church at Macedonia, they have a great trial of affliction... And out of their deep poverty with great joy. Those aren't supposed to go together. In normal human mind, tribulations and temptations, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4, he talks about their tribulation and having joy in tribulation. We think of tribulation and we don't think of joy. We don't think of trials of afflictions and poverty and think joy. We don't think chastening and think joy. We don't think temptations and joy. We don't think of patience and long-suffering with joy. That is not how our brain works because we are conditioned to think that joy equals happy. Joy does not equal my circumstances are wonderful. Notice. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, you're here in Romans, I know. Stay in Romans, don't move. You know the verse in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, he has joy at Calvary. Why? Because of what's in front of him. Look at Romans chapter 5. Look at verse number 10. Well, verse 9. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. 
You say, why can I joy in diverse temptations? Why can I joy in chastening? Why can I joy when there's long-suffering and patience having to happen? Why can I have joy through all those things? Because of an atonement that was made. (laughs) Because Jesus Christ died for me. Because I consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Because you know what it is? It's not about today. It's about the end. We are so consumed with today. By the way, kingdom of heaven is today. We're so consumed with being happy here that we don't pay any attention to the joy of what we could gain if we suffer those temptations and we do it joyfully. And we gain the riches of eternity. He says in 1 Thessalonians, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to hit these last couple real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know the spot. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse number 19. And what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. You you realize joy comes when you figure out that you've been reconciled to God and an atonement was made. Joy comes when you recognize that somebody else got the atonement that was made and they got reconciled to God as well. You can rejoice that others got salvation. It is amazing. I said it earlier. You realize that when someone else comes to Christ and you get to show them and the light bulbs come on and how beautiful it is and they pray and they ask Christ to save them. And the truth is, that's that. That's the most joyful moment you get to have in your life after you got saved. You got saved. The most joyful moments you get are watching somebody else figure out that an atonement was made for their sins and they call upon Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he's not just coming to get you. He's coming to get them too. It brings joy. It's automatic. Automatic. You get joy in your life because you recognize that when you get in front of God, you aren't going to be alone. They're going to be right there with you. It's going to be a wonderful day. Look over at 3 John. 3 John. Not a book you go to often, but 3 John. Verse number 1. 3 John 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You say, what brings joy? Even if the trials and the afflictions and the troubles are there, you say, what brings joy? Knowing that there's other people walking in the truth still. You know, there are churches all over the country that I have no idea who they are. And then I hear about a new one. And you're like, oh. And you check them out real quick and you're like, there's a church in Podunk Nowhere over there too. That's preaching the truth of the Bible. People are getting saved and people are... 
And then on top of that, you get to, you realize when you get to find somebody who you've led to the Lord and about, you know, maybe you got separated for a while and they went one direction and you went the other and then you come back around and you see them again and you're like, what? And they're still walking with God and they're still amazed. It's just amazing. You know, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. Brother Spurgeon's going to be back in this year, right? We're going to have Brother Gip in. Uh, in March, Lord willing, uh, his health will make it and, and he, can, he can do it still. And, and we're all scheduled up. Tickets are bought. So praise the Lord. Uh, and he's supposed to be here. Uh, you know, he's going to come in and, and some of you he's known for years and some of you he has never met and you've never seen him before. But you know what's going to be wonderful is he sees those folks that have been around for a while. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make him happy. Uh, guaranteed. He's going to have some joy over what? Just seeing that people are still faithful. And they're still walking in the truth and they're still coming to church and they're still, you know, uh, I went to, I don't even remember the guy's name. I really don't. Uh, I didn't, I didn't remember who he was. Uh, we both, we both knew each other and it's strange. It was, it was my, I think it was my senior year of high school. I was at Youth Ablaze and I don't remember how the altar call exactly went. It was talking about getting with somebody you don't even know and praying with them and praying that the Lord would help them and keep both of you strong and that you'd, you'd finish the race. I, I don't even, I mean, it was years ago. And we came back and, and I went to school. I went down to PBI and I came home and everything else. It was years later that I was back and I was at Youth Ablaze and this guy just so happened to walk into Youth Ablaze and he, he's been serving in a church here local right around Rochester area. And he walks in and he sees me and I see him and I'm like, you look really familiar. He says, yeah, so do you. And all of a sudden, both of us, it just clicked. I prayed with you at Youth Ablaze like a decade ago. <laughs> and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm back and I'm helping at the church. I'm working with the teens. That was when I was working with the teens still with Brother Gip here. And he goes, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm working in my church. And he talks about all the things the Lord is doing in his life. And he said, well, is that, that was amazing. I didn't have anything to do with that guy getting saved. All I knew was he and I prayed together one day. And just to watch that God could do something like that. You know what that was? That was such an encouragement to me. That brings joy to watch and somebody else that you haven't seen in a decade turn around and you show up at the same thing and all of a sudden you realize they've been serving the Lord for 10 years. I have no idea. And I've been over here working for 10 years and they have no idea. And we meet up and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> the Lord's still doing stuff that you and I have no idea about. Realize John's writing this on the ex uh, exiled on Patmos. And he says, I have no greater joy than, that, than to hear that my children walk in truth. John's writing and he goes, you know what? I don't have any greater joy even though I'm in exile. On an... I'm just glad I've got children that are still walking in the truth. I'm just glad somebody is still preaching and proclaiming and doing. And I was talking to somebody and I'm, I promise I'll be done. I was talking to somebody not long ago. And I said, you know what is amazing to me? It is amazing to me that however many times I've heard the gospel preached and however many times I've preached it myself and how many times we've said it and how many times we've talked about it and how many times we've, that I still get excitable. 
Isn't that amazing? That you still get just a little excitable. I mean, you, you, may not, you may not be jumping pews and everything right there, but right, but you just, there's something that just starts building up inside of you when you start realizing and remembering the day you got saved and the joy. Because you understand that that one decision, that one decision brought you eternal righteousness, eternal peace, and eternal joy. And it sparks something of today that reminds you that you ought to have righteousness and peace and joy as you serve Him today. Those things start to automatically come up. Oftentimes we wonder, how can I be accepted by God? How can, I, how can my work be acceptable? I mean, how do I know that God really is involved in what I'm doing? I'll tell you this, if you've got righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, and you put that into your service, automatically accepted, he said so. That's acceptable. When it's full of self-will and pride and arrogancy and all the other... You know what that is? Unacceptable. It's the choice that we make. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. At the end of my, at the end of my life, I think everybody in this room, I, I think the most, most if not everybody in this room saved. I know I wasn't preaching salvation. If you've never trusted Christ, you need Him as your Savior, and we'd love to talk to you about it, but I think everybody in here is saved. And if you're saved, I hope you want to hear the exact same thing that I hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> you say, well, how do I get there? The manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God, the kingdom of God that He put inside of you, shown forth to a world who needs to know that there is a Savior. And we need to awake to righteousness. And we need to have peace and stay in unity one with another, especially one with another and then be able to say hey it's all right the trials and afflictions of today are but for a moment and they work a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory i'll just look to the end and not worry about the things now you look around now you'll be depressed all the time you look out there and you realize eternity is far better and one day it's mine that's what we ought to have, a view to the eternal. Father, we thank you for the night, and I pray, Lord, this was a blessing and a help. I pray it was an encouragement, and Lord, I pray that we would, Lord, go ahead and serve you well and serve you faithfully till you come. Lord, we pray you'd bless in Jesus' name, amen.